11.45, so let's get started. Um, Rabbi, first of all, welcome everybody. Thank you for uh, coming to learn together again. Um, Rabbi Bacon requested that today we discuss some kulas that people might be able to utilize this year on Pesach as a result of the fact that, uh, you know, that, that, that we're uh, going through what we're going through in terms of the coronavirus. So, uh, so let's, uh, let's go through some, uh, some kulas as per Rabbi Bacon's uh, suggestion. Um, many of these are things that Rav Shechter has already spoken about, and I'll just be reiterating um, some I, I guess he hasn't yet spoken about. Um, so let's start with on uh, Erev Pesach. Uh, there is a uh, requirement for a Bechor to fast on Erev Pesach, but uh, we figured out an Eitzah, how to avoid having to fast on Erev Pesach, and that is by attending or participating in a Siyum. And we use a Siyum in a number of uh, different times to, to, uh, to, to be able to use the celebration as a reason to not observe what would otherwise be a Minag that we would have to observe, such as during the nine days, to be able to eat to eat meat. Um, so when it comes to attending a seum, typically one would have to attend, one would think you would have to attend in person. Morena of Shechter thought that even typically uh, it's not necessary for a person to attend a seum in person, that as long as you're participating in the simcha and you're joining in the simcha, even if you're only participating by phone or even if you're only participating by Zoom or by something like that, that would be good enough. Uh, there are a number of postmen that are not particularly uh, excited about that, although... Rav Shlomo Zalman Orbach is quoted in a number of Svarim as also permitting participating uh, in such a way in a siyum. Uh, there are a number of poskim that would suggest otherwise. Look, a siyum definitely does not require a minion. If you want to say Kaddish, you need a minion, but to celebrate uh, the completion of a piece of Torah, you don't need a minion. And uh, to, to label it as a Sudas Mitzvah, you don't need a minion. The question really is, what is the matir of eating on Erev Pesach if you're a Bechar or eating meat during the nine days, is it that you are participating in a Su'udas Mitzvah or is it that you are participating in a celebration of Torah, if it's about a su'udas mitzvah, so, you know, as much as we might say, we'll have a sheer lunch over Zoom, you know, but my lunch isn't your lunch, and your lunch isn't, we're not really participating in the same su'udah. We happen to be having a su'udah at uh, the same time in different locations. So as far as su'udas mitzvah, it would seem that it would not, uh, would not qualify as a su'udas mitzvah. But as far as, if it's not only about su'udas mitzvah, but it's about making a... Uh, making a, a celebration of Torah and participating in a celebration of Torah, then it would seem to work. There's enough kameen in the other direction. What if a person wasn't there for the seum itself, but they just show up to the meal later on in the meal? So a person made a seum at 7 o'clock and some of his friends show up at 7.30. Are they allowed to participate of that fleshic food during the nine days or of that uh, food of their Bukhar on uh, Erev Pesach in the morning? It would turn out that if it's a about the Suda Smitzvah, so you're participating in what is a Suda Smitzvah, but you didn't really participate in the uh, Gomro Shel Torah, so to speak. Um, but uh, be that as it may, Rav Shachter was very unequivocally and clearly makil for this year that we could certainly uh, rely on uh, on a siyum that is made 
over uh, the internet, uh, over Skype, over uh, Zoom, or whatever else, and uh, that we could be making with that issue. Uh, another uh, issue that comes up, probably the number one issue that I've been asked about so far, that comes up in advance of Pesach. A lot of people are making Pesach for the very first time, and even those who aren't, Pesach is a time where typically people are doing a lot of uh, Tevilas Kalim. Um, now, to have a uh, Tvilas Kalim go on in the regular way, when we're so concerned about, uh, about the virus spreading, especially by people who, uh, who may have the virus and are touching surfaces and uh, could spread very, very easily that way. So there are certain communities that they've actually shut down the Kalim Mikvah. Uh, I heard of one community that shut down the Kalim Mikvah just for fear of the virus spreading. Another community I know of shut down the Kalim Mikvah because the Kalim Mikvah happens to be the same place. It's in the same basic location as the women's Mikvah. And they're fearful that if a person gets diagnosed and gets a positive diagnosis, they're going to have to uh, uh, they're going to have to list off all the places that they have been, and they're going to go and shut down all of those places uh, that they have been, and they don't want to shut down the women's mikvah, so uh, they they shut down the keli mikvah in advance, so that just in case anyone who uh, does who goes to the keli mikvah subsequently gets diagnosed won't have to shut down the women's mikvah. It happens to be that second concern is no longer a concern, meaning that there are so many people at this point. And I think the numbers that we're seeing are also. Um, not nearly uh, the, the numbers that we're seeing are very, very are minuscule uh, percentage of the people that actually have this virus. Um, but uh, but even with the numbers that they know about of confirmed cases, they're no longer going and tracking down every place everybody was and shutting down those places. They just can't anymore. It's just uh, too much. Uh, even with just the numbers that you're seeing of a couple of thousand people in New York, I can tell you there are a couple of thousand people in North Woodmere that have this virus. I mean, the, the idea that there's a couple of thousand people in New York that have the virus is, uh, is, is, is uh, it's, it's a joke. I mean, so there just isn't, uh, uh, is, isn't, um, uh, there just isn't wide enough testing and certainly not a fast enough turnaround time on the testing. But be that as it may, so people want to know, so what are we supposed to do about Tavilas Kalim? So one Eitza is, certainly for those who live on the south shore of uh, Long Island, uh, or the north shore, I guess, if anyone lives on any shore of any island, uh, there is an Eitza that you have that you could just go to the ocean and uh, do the Tavilas Kalim in an ocean or some other body of water that would be kosher for Tavilas Kalim, where you're not so concerned about the uh, the, the spreading of the uh, of the virus. So that a number of people here in the five towns have been doing that. Uh, another Eitza that a number of people have been doing, if the Keli Mikvah is open, is to wear gloves at the Keli Mikvah and try not to touch any surfaces and do, tovel all the Kelim while wearing gloves and immediately discard the gloves, dispose of the gloves and then wash off all the Kelim with, uh, with soap and, uh, and water very thoroughly right afterwards. Uh, that is a less ideal option, but it is an option that presents itself. Another potential option Although uh, we have to see whether whether uh, you know it would have to be in the situation with rabbinic guidance where this would be uh, permitted. Um, if you don't live near an ocean and your keli mikveh is closed, the Shulchan Aruch and Simon Kuf Chav Seif Tazayin paskins based on the rush that a person should not tovel a kli on Shabbos because it's near a kimesakin mana. It looks like you're fixing the kli. So what do you do if you forgot to tovel a kli before Shabbos or Yom Tov? So give it as 
as a matana to a non-Jew, says the Shulchan Aruch, and then borrow it back from that non-Jew. Then, after Shabbos, you can buy it back from the non-Jew and then tovel it with a bracha. The Taz in Sivkat Yilches says that even if you don't buy it back, you would still need to uh, to tovel it. Uh, the Taz is uh, is concerned that if you're going to be the one using it, then of course it's your kli. Now, the reason a kli is obligated in tevilah, even though you gave it to the guy, is because you're the one that's always using it. But but a number of poskim suggest for electric appliances that you could rely on this, meaning that you could uh, take it, let's say you have an electric appliance that you're going to be using constantly, and you're afraid to tovel it, so uh, because you're afraid it's going to break. So a number of poskim suggest that you can sell it to a non-Jew, do this whole uh, shtick that the Shulchan Aruch says to do for Shabbos, to do it for an electric appliance throughout uh, throughout the week. Lichora, one could rely on this uh, until the virus passes. If they can find a non-Jew who's willing to buy their kalim and then borrow those kalim from a non-Jew, Lichora, that might be another solution if someone does not have access, easy access to an ocean or if somebody does not have and somebody does not have access to a keli mikvah that could be used in a responsible way, that could be used in a way where there's uh, no concern for spreading of a virus or if someone is quarantined and they're unable to go out of their home, l'chora, this is a reasonable thing to rely on. There is a general machlokas haposkim, whether electric appliances ever need to uh, whether electric appliances ever need to uh, to to, to in the first place, uh, both Morena of Shechter and Ravasha Weiss are makel on the issue, but for different reasons. If the, your reason for being makel is, I think, as Ravasha Weiss said, that anus rachmana patre, that uh, we simp- that since this is a mitzvah and it's not it's not just a matir, but it's a mitzvah, and by a mitzvah we say anus rachmana patre. So the chara, someone who has no access to a keli mikvah because of this, or has no access to outside of their home, one might be able to extend anus rachmana patre over here as well. But it would seem the option of selling it to a guy would be better. Again, the best option is to tovel to tovel by the ocean or to figure out a way that the Kaylee McVos could work. Um, there is another uh, issue. Uh, we're just running through issues over here. There are many people that have a minag never to sell chametz gamur, but it could be that this year, because of a fear of supplies being readily available right after Pesach, may be interested in selling their chametz gamur, even though they wouldn't normally do so. So Morena of Shechter thought that this is totally permissible. He pointed out that there's a Dagal Mervava in Yaradeya that uh, in the Simeratia Dalid that says that a, a Minag, to- while the Ran in Masech Nadarm writes that a Minag Tov is binding Mishum Neder, but that's only if you want, if you plan on giving it up Mikanulaba, you're going to need a Taras Nadarm to get rid of that Minag Tov. But if your whole Minag was, was, uh, is going to continue, it's just that right now you're in a situation where for the time being you're unable to keep that minag, it could be that it's not even binding mitam neder, and therefore a person can go about selling his chametz gamur as well, even if he typically does not sell his uh, chametz gamur. A number of people are asking about meat that they purchased, or chicken that they purchased uh, weeks ago, and has been in their freezer ever since, and it's not labeled kasha lepesach chicken or kasha lepesach meat. So can they... Are they permitted to use that meat on Pesach? So uh, my friend Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg, each and every year, 
just before Purim, always sends out a tweet, Facebook, Instagram, and all the social media outlets that he's, uh, you know, very popular on. And he sends out a not- notification, buy your meats and, uh, and chickens now for Pesach and freeze them because uh, there's, uh, the, before the prices go up. And uh, each year I retweet it, and uh, someone always gets back to me from the cashless industry and says, you know, you really shouldn't retweet that. That's not really right. It's not, you know, they, they kosher out the whole, uh, the whole place where they butcher all the meats, and, uh, they, you know, that the place has, uh, there is chametz in that place. So even though raw meat doesn't have any chametz in it, and people aren't going to know the difference between raw meat and uh, meat that's been uh, marinated, uh, and the different marinades very often have chametz, in them, so uh, I have a little more confidence in people, certainly for this year, to know the difference between raw meat and a meat that's in a marinade that's been prepared in some way other than just butchering it, other than just cutting it and uh, and and uh, having raw meat and raw chicken. So I think certainly, certainly for this year, I really think every year, but certainly for this year, if you have just plain chicken or meat raw that is not prepared in any way with any marinade or with any anything else i think there's plenty to rely on even if it was processed in the kitchen that has or in a butcher shop that has uh, breading in it and things like that but this meat that you have is totally raw it's a far-fetched concern that any of the breading ever touched this meat and that concern could be alleviated simply by rinsing the meat and even if it is true chametz before Pesach is batal b'shishim anyhow, so uh, so it would be batal even if it were if it were a concern, even if it were actually true. Another issue is about using machine matzah. Maybe this will be our last issue for today. Using machine matzah for fear that uh, the hand matzah bakeries were all using their hands, and a lot of these bakeries might be in communities where people didn't take this virus so seriously. Rachman al So uh, they 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 so well it could be. That that they finished baking these matzahs a long, long uh, time ago. But you should be aware, many of uh, the gr- many great poskim and great tzaddikim were dafka makbit to use only machine shmura and not hand shmura. Uh, the Salvechik family was known to have this hakpada. Rav Aaron Salvechik, I think the Rav himself was also makbit about this, to only use machine shmura. They trusted machine shmura more than they trusted hand shmura. So to say that a person can rely on uh, on using machine shmur, I think that is not at all a, a stretch if a person is nervous. I don't know, we should speak to doctors and speak to uh, people who work in the matzah industry, I guess, and find out if there's any reason for concern. I, I doubt that there is any reason for concern, but if there is a reason for concern, or if someone is just themselves personally nervous about it, so uh, you can't blame them, and uh, I think there's no problem, and not just me, uh, Rav Shefter also thought uh, that there was no problem in using uh, using machine Machine, machine shmura matzah. The issue with machine matzah is whether it's a din in l'shma. Do you say that isha mishum chitzav is a din only in nezikin, or it's a din in uh, kalatarakula? But certainly the baking of the uh, of the matzah. That's as far as the lisha, the baking of the matzah. It seems pretty clear that that has a din of being done l'shma, and it would have a full din of regular shmura matzah. So those are some of the uh, some of the issues that have been coming up uh, for this year in in particular. Um, that uh, that maybe uh, people are nervous about, that maybe we could be a little more makele about. As I come up with more ideas, maybe in future shiurim, we'll address some other ideas. And I certainly welcome anybody to contact me with uh, further questions or further issues where you think we might uh, need 
to to utilize leniencies that are viable leniencies, but particularly this year, considering the matzav that we find ourselves in. Everyone should have a wonderful day. Everyone should continue to stay safe and stay healthy. And I thank you very much for coming to uh, to learn with me today. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.